Get ready for adventure. Islands of it, man. From the studios to Volcano Bay, this is the Universal Joint, a podcast devoted to all things universal with your host, Jim Hill and Dustin Foods. Welcome to the Universal Joint podcast. I'm entertainment writer Jim Hill and my co-host Dustin Fuse and I are recording the show on Wednesday, May 8th. And this past week, once again, thanks to BioReconstruct and is it a blimp? Is it a helicopter? What, a Nimbus 2000? What is that? What does he or she fly, Dustin? I don't know, but it's incredible seeing the the level of detail that um, this, I don't, it it's a person, but it's not a person. I don't know. All I know is that the Twitter account brought BioReconstruct is a theme park fans like treasure trove. Oh, absolutely. I, and, and honestly, he always he or she always seems to be airborne. So again, Dustin and I are, are infinitely grateful to the wonderful high quality pics that BioReconstruct captures from high in the air as he's flying over Orlando's theme parks. And just this past week, as he was flying over Hagrid's Magical Creatures Motorbike Adventure, the, the worksite there, he got a picture of a genuinely magical creature, or rather, a pair of them. Did you see the pictures? I did. Okay, so we have the supposedly the finale for the soon-to-open island adventure ride, which supposedly features a pair of unicorns, a, a mother and a foal, and... Coming from more official channels, Universal Orlando Resort released a little bit of video and a photo of the Hagrid animatronic featured in the attraction. And it's a beautiful rendering of Robbie Coltrane. Yeah, and they're very proud of what they have put together with the Hagrid audio animatronic. So we're talking about the animated figure will feature an extensive motion profile of 24 different body movements and facial expressions, which will basically mimic Robbie Coltrane's exact motions as Hagrid from the Harry Potter film series. They've done a digital scan of Robbie Coltrane's mouth, which was utilized to create Hagrid's teeth. The entire face was meticulously sculpted by hand. The costume was designed by the same team that created his on-screen wardrobe. Robbie Coltrane himself actually recorded a custom script for Hagrid in the new adventure. And the animated figure is 7 feet 6 inches tall, which is exactly proportional to Hagrid in the Harry Potter film series. Hmm. Well, again, human father, giant mother. So yeah, 7 and a half feet tall, that makes sense. It is a, a beautiful figure, and in fact, like I think you were mentioning that the detailing, they got it right down to his pink umbrella magical wand. Exactly. So with, I think what people are starting to realize with the Hagrid's uh, Magical Creatures Motorbike Adventure is that it's all about the details. Mm. And when you're creating something for this iconic franchise, it's all about the ins and the outs and things that fans, true fans of not just the books, but the movies and everything in between, will be able to come to this land and pick apart the little details that they see. And it, it's really exciting to see how Universal is standing behind their attention to detail. But at the same time, if you think about over the past couple of weeks, we've seen the animatronic Fluffy, the three-headed dog, the Cornish Pixies, those blast-ended scroots. And you look at the level, the detailing, on these animatronic figures, and come on, Dustin, there's no other way to interpret this attraction as this is Universal Park's response to anybody who ever said that 
Universal only makes rides that feature screens, right? Oh, absolutely. And you and I have had this conversation, and it's going to be really fun to see this as well as future iterations of, of attractions going to Universal Studios theme parks, whether or not they're able to play the game, which is going back and forth between utilizing technology that is readily available and adding in those classic theme park experiences that we've known to, you know, just we love. We love seeing audio animatronics. We love seeing physical experiences and things that are right in front of you, be it fire or water. And I think Universal has been going back and forth. And I I think this is definitely a nod to the purists who want to see Hagrid right there and not just on a screen. I don't know if you saw on Twitter, there was a a wonderful pair of images that somebody put together, but it was basically the Hondo figure from Millennium Falcon Smuggler's Mm -hmm. Run and you know, it's like, hey, we created a highly detailed figure from the waist up. And the image that's next to it is of the full-size Hagrid. And basically the caption is, hold my beer. <laughs> it's either that or your move. So yeah. I think, you know what, this is competition is exactly what we want in theme oh, parks. No, no, because it, totally. it makes people, especially the, the creative side, you know, kind of step up their game. We're looking at the at the Universal Orlando Resort. We're looking at a, a park that is sharpening the focus. I mean, for example, you know, we talked earlier about that quick service restaurant that was right at the entrance of Universal Studios uh, Florida and how it's now been, uh, in fact, I guess it's in soft opening now, a mode now, the, the Today Show Cafe. And as always with a brand new eatery, that sort of thing, it's been interesting hearing the reviews. People seem to love the decor. I guess the staff is, or the team, Universal team members there are, need to pick up the pace a little bit because, face it, people get crabby if it takes a while to get their coffee. That's the Starbucks joke. People who are standing in line waiting for coffee should probably mm-hmm. have a coffee so they're waiting in line. So I think with, with the Today Show Cafe, I, when you look at where it's, lo- it's positioned in the park, mm-hmm. you have to step up your game, especially first thing in the morning. No, absolutely. Now, weren't you mentioning, though, something about a a special blend or a specialty blend for the cafe? Yeah, so it looks like they're doing the Today Cafe blend, which Mm -hmm. will be a a style of of coffee, a blend of coffee that, you know, similar to going to Starbucks and getting the the roasted beans that you can take home with you. It looks Mm -hmm. like they're going to be kind of stepping into that realm. It's a merchandising opportunity. It's a great segue into creating that added buy that people can get before and after. And it's going to have the logo on it. So I think overall, it was a really good idea. And it's also been uh, trademarked. So Mm -hmm. they can plug the Today uh, Cafe Blend into whatever they would like. And what's kind of intriguing to me is that they're going to try to keep the menu somewhat dynamic. I mean, for example, they're talking at least initially about seasonal dishes. And the first one, I guess, out the door is an Al Roker-inspired item, Al's avocado toast. I'm thinking toward the end of the afternoon, people will be more inclined to, I guess there's a side of the menu that's that's more inspired by that fourth hour of the Today Show with, uh, well, it used to be Kathy Lee and Hoda, you know, where there was a lot of talk about wine, and, and <laughs> so evidently they're going to have wine and beer on tap uh, as well as a, a cheese plate. So this is, again, I know it's the Today Show Cafe, and people will think a lot about 
going there in the morning, but it looks like it will be worth circling back on later in the day. Mm -hmm. Well, you and I have talked about when people are doing two parks in one day, they'll finish the morning at Universal Studios Florida doing things like Dog and Alley and The Simpsons mm -hmm. and Transformers. And then they'll head halfway through the day over to Islands of Adventure. And mm -hmm. personally, stopping in and getting that little snack before heading to Islands of Adventure, because it's a good five-minute walk, mm -hmm. that's actually not too bad of an idea. I think that they hit the nail on the head with the location and the menu that they've put out there. It's very okay. light. They've got a couple of sandwiches that really do look promising. They've got the Carnegie, obviously a nod to the Carnegie Deli, that says hot piled high pastrami Swiss cheese, deli mustard served on toasted rye. And they have a 30 Rock Midtowner with shave roasted turkey, smoked gouda, tomato aioli, and that's served on cranberry artisan bread. We're definitely going to have to check this place out when we're down there in November. Absolutely. Now, you found that mention of the cafe, the Today Show Cafe blend when you were you're doing your, your due diligence and checking in the trademarks and but you came across a, a couple of other interesting ones related to Universal in the past week or so, right? We found something called the Terror Trivia. Mm -hmm. And Terror Trivia, when you, you know, boil down, it, the trademark itself classifies it as an interactive game software. But you're mentioning that it's a little bit more. I reached out to friends at Universal and this is what they hope to do this year. You're dealing with game developers and things can take an odd turn, but evidently the plan with Terror Trivia is that this is supposed to be a game that you can play while you're waiting in line at this year's Halloween Horror Nights at the Universal Orlando Resort, which this time around, remember, they're starting early, September 6th and running through select nights all the way to November 2nd. The idea is you're standing there in line and you play the game and supposedly that if you win, you can actually step out of line and get in, you know, you, you win like an express pass. You know, you, you can, you know, get into a maze or mazes that much faster. Now, again, that's the plan. <laughs> that's, on you know. that's the concept. That's blue yep. sky. That's, hmm. you know, we're going down this road. But the interesting thing is they're confident enough that they trademarked it. So hopefully operational for this year, because, again, it would be great to have something to entertain while you're waiting in those lines. And speaking of things you'd be standing in lines for, I guess while we were in between shows here, Universal Orlando revealed yet another one of their mazes. And kind of interesting that it's a Universal Monsters maze, the, the classic monsters. And I guess they did a, a similar sort of maze out in Hollywood last year, but... Yeah, so where it looks like guests will be hunted by every single grizzly monster from the anthology, including Dracula, Wolfman, and Frankenstein. Hopefully Beetlejuice mm -hmm. is coming back. No, I'm joking. <laughs> mm, uh, he's a little busy on he's Broadway. He's a little busy right on Broadway. And I, yeah. Have you seen the show? It looks really interesting, and I like the casting that they did because they brought um, Alex Brightman from School of Rock Yeah, to play and oh. They have sort of a description of what they're going to try to do in Orlando. And it, it says here that come face to face with Dracula in his gothic castle, the wolfman in a dark Bavarian forest, and the man-made monster within Dr. Frankenstein's lab. And if you survive them, 
you still may encounter the vicious creature of the Black Lagoon and the ancient evil of the mummy and more. So I really want this to work. The last time they did something like this, I want to say back in 2012 with their brother. Did you catch their classic monster maze at that point or? No, we skipped that year, but just mm. like any good theme park mm. fan, we were all on YouTube seeing exactly what was going on and reading the reviews. And with monsters, you have people who are who like the classic mentality mm-hmm. and then seeing redone and reimagined monsters maybe a little off putting for certain folks. But I'm, I'm glad that they're doing another uh, run. No, no, I, I don't get me wrong. I mean, I, I, I love that they're doing this, but the one that they did a few years back, interesting stylistic choice. It was it was all done in black and white because, again, mm-hmm. you know, the, these films from the 30s and the 40s were all done in black and white. And what's kind of interesting about at least the concept art that they put out for this uh, Universal Monsters maze is this time around, these characters are in color. And, and you're right. They've been, you know, it's an interesting Venn diagram of the look that we know from those black and white films from the, you know, the 30s and the 40s but updated enough and now in color. So going to be interesting. There's two questions that I have. So the first one is with regards to the Hollywood one. So it looks like they're getting a new original score for that maze. And it's Mm going to be done by Grammy Award winning musician Slash. Oh. So it looks like he's going to be composing the original score for the maze in Universal Studios Hollywood. Does that, well, I guess when we're looking at it, Slash with Guns N' Roses has such a, a high impact style. So that's probably going to work for the monsters. But is this a precursor to possibly testing out styles and looks for Fantastic Worlds? Mm, Magic 8-Ball says circle <laughs> back on that one later. That's good. Okay. Uh, getting back to the trademarks you unearthed. You also uh, came across something not Jurassic World related, but Jurassic Park related, right? No. So it was Jurassic World, but it was oh. classified under the legend of Isla Nublar, mm-hmm. where it oh. looks like we're going to be doing everything under the, the sun from books, magazines, toys, and all these different things that they can put this trademark onto now does Mm. this mean that this is going to be the name of an attraction coming does this mean that it's going to be something that they're just going to play around with i don't know but it was registered so that's got to say something it's certainly a name that of, of something that's being considered i guess for me what's kind of intriguing is that isla nublar if you watched Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom last year, when Mount Sebo, the, the volcano on the island, blew up, there's no more island, right? So, uh, going to be kind of interesting to see where they go with this. Yeah, it's 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 funny just looking at some of the stuff, and you know, all you have to do is go into the the Jurassic World and Jurassic Park lore and do a little discovery into what um, Isla Nublar actually is, and it was the you know, the Central American island from the original Mm -hmm. Jurassic Park franchise. So why they are classifying it as Jurassic World, could that be a nod or could that be a potential revisiting? I don't know, but I know that in the original Jurassic World, there were Mm -hmm. those little uh, tips of the the hat to the the original series from the one guy, I'm 
spacing on his name, but he he worked in the the main action area uh, in the tech support, and he had the Jurassic uh, Park T-shirt, and like that those types it. of things were just so cool. No, I agree. Just wild speculation here, but if you think about how Dinosaur at Disney's Animal Kingdom tries to put you back a minute, two minutes before the the meteor that destroyed the dinosaurs hit the Earth, one you gotta wonder with a, a name like. Jurassic World Legend of Ilsa Nublar, what maybe you are there on the island as part of the crew that's, you know, trying to clear the dinosaurs off, you know, as they did in Fallen Kingdom. And something untoward happens. But, well, I, I, again, we'll have to wait. We'll do keep an eye on this name. By the way, Dustin also dug up another intriguing story that actually has something to do with the 3D movies at the Universal Parks, which we'll get to when we get back from this commercial break. So to pick up, now you found this piece, I I guess, what is it, the news broke on May 7th that the Universal Studios Hollywood was going to transform that park's version of Despicable Me, Minion Mayhem, which has been a 3D experience, but they've decided to now turn that attraction into a, a 2D version of this experience. Is that correct? Or? Yeah. And, you know, we, we've we seen a, a number of reasons why this could be happening from cost to, you know, operational to just the overall feeling that guests don't want to continuously have these glasses on their, their head and I've done full articles based on what are some of the the worst attractions to ride and to experience at both Disney and Universal if you have glasses. And Mm -hmm. one of them is every single 3D experience because wearing glasses and then putting 3D glasses on on top of that is just annoying. That is is tough. Uh, But again, let's be honest here. This isn't exactly a surprise they did this with Despicable Me. I mean, if you think about it, the Universal Studios Japan version of Despicable Me, Minion Mayhem, which, by the way, opened uh, April of 2017 as the replacement for that theme park's Back to the Future of the Ride, it started off as a high-def 2D attraction. It didn't even go the 3D route. And you have to assume that what you just mentioned, Dustin, about the how much of the population has to wear glasses and then put 3D glasses on top of uh, the glasses. Well, and, and we had talked earlier as, as well about the idea of 3D experiences are becoming more and more normalized, I think is the yeah. right word of putting it, because you can go to mm-hmm. any movie theater, even the small towns in, in the middle of nowhere, and they'll have 3D and IMAX you know, setups for a lot of these big Marvel and Star Wars and you know, mm-hmm. all of these these experiences are filmed with the ability to create additional revenue for the movie, the movie theaters themselves to offer things in 3D and IMAX. So you're seeing something that used to be a feature when you would go mm-hmm. to a theme park now being normalized. That's true. And it makes it a little less special, though. What happened with Despicable Me We've seen this happen before. I mean, you know, remember when the West Coast version of The Wizarding World opened up back in April of 2016, yep. Universal Studio Hollywood's version of Harry Potter and the Forbidden Journey, when it started out, it was a 3D ride. I mean, you were actually issued 
a set of Quidditch goggles before you were allowed to climb on that flying bench. And just to be clear here, that version of that ride didn't debut in Hollywood. It actually debuted in Osaka at Universal Studios Japan when their Wizarding World opened back in July of 2014. And and not only that, I came across one of those things that just sort of like, <laughs> that they were talking about how on that version of The Forbidden Journey, when you finally get to the Dementors, what they did for Japan, because again, they have different safety rules in Japan. Yep. They could actually do Dementors that not only got closer to the flying bench, but they had articulated hands. So, again, the notion is as the figures came in closer, they appeared to try to grasp you. Oh, wow. And it's like, oh, that's a cool touch. And whereas my good friend Seth Kaberski, every so often, will go on the original version of Forbidden Journey in Florida. And he talks about how if you bring a high powered flashlight with you in the Dementors scene, you turn it on in that part of the attraction, you can actually see the Dementor figures that Universal turned off oh. prior to the land opening in 2010 because it was just considered too scary. So evidently they're, they're sitting on KUKA arms that, that were just shut down because like, that's a little scary. And we want kids to enjoy this ride. So in Japan, they don't care. They'll scare you. Yeah. As you and I have talked in every other thing, and it's one of the fun, everything is better in Japan. Everything. That it is. That it is. Okay. So anyway, back to the uh, Universal Studios Hollywood version of, of Harry Potter. So Wizarding World there opens April of 2016. Mm-hmm. And on the heels of the 3D version there, there's a lot of talk about, hey, this is cool. When's this coming to Orlando? But then December that same year, this this strange thing happens word comes out of the west coast that universal studios hollywood is now experimenting with a non-3d version of their parks wizarding world uh, harry potter and the forbidden journey they've got people with clipboard at the end of the attraction you know asking people if they have a strong opinion about that particular version of the ride and evidently you know universal got the resort a result that they wanted because march of 2017 they shut down the 3D version. They pull the Quidditch goggles and put them in storage. And from then on, the West Coast version of Harry Potter and the Forbidden Journey was only presented mm-hmm. in high-def 2D. To be specific, two-dimensional 4K UHD, which stands for Ultimate High Definition. And the ride footage that you see in the attraction was projected at 120 frames per second rather than 3D. So, I mean, you, you're talking about the combination of the 4K projection, and the 120 frames per second projection rate. You know, that's as close to reality or, you know, to trick the human eye to doing that. And evidently, the folks in Japan heard about this and saw the results it was getting. And by January 2018, the Universal Studios Japan has done the same thing. They've switched over from 3D to two-dimensional 4K UHD. It took a while, but here comes the original. Here comes the Harry Potter and the Forbidden Journey for you know that was built uh, for Alice Adventure, opened back in June of 2010. In June of 2018, they get the upgrade as well. They now have 
also have ride footage that's projected as at 120 frames per second uh, using 4K ultra high def projectors. Interesting thing here. Now, you and I have been talking, well, you talked at the top of the segment here that there's a number of reasons why people might take this approach that, you know, there's operational issues, but there's also expense. The 3D glasses that Universal uses, do you know how pricey those things supposedly are, Dustin? Well, with 3D glasses, the idea is that you're buying them in in bulk. So you get that opportunity to really focus on getting the best possible design for that specific attraction. And I know with Universal and Disney, each of the attractions has something that goes into the glasses being themed in a specific color or a brand. But I know they're not cheap. We're not talking about pennies on the dollar. We're talking about a substantial amount of money. When you look at how many thousands of people per hour Mm -hmm. are going through those attractions and need the glasses to experience it fully. Well, when you look back at, say, the glasses that were used for Magic Journeys or Muppet Vision 3D or Honey, I Shrunk the Audience. Again, it's relatively cheap plastic, polarized glass, you know, that sort of thing. We're starting in December of 2011, which is when the very first Transformers, the Ride 3D, actually that didn't open stateside. That that opened, uh, the attraction first debuted at Universal Studios Singapore. But the next generation 3D glasses that made... Transformers the Ride Possible were produced exclusively for the Universal Parks by a German firm, and I want to say Infitech. And what made these glasses special and different from, again, you know, the the early generation ones that we we just talked about, likewise, the ones you've been referring to for your local movie theater or that sort of thing, is that those typically are are made of of thin plastic, whereas the version that Infitech made for the Universal Parks had to have glass lenses so they could then use dichronic filters? Yeah, so that's a, it's a thin film filter that is uh, very accurate for, um, you know, colors. It basically allows um, selective light to pass through in a small range of colors while reflecting other colors. That's it, exactly. That's it, exactly. But again, an item like this is not inexpensive. When I covered the opening of the upgraded, improved 4K HD version of The Amazing Adventures of Spider-Man that opened or reopened at Universal Island Adventure back in March of 2012, Mm -hmm. I was told at that time by a a senior member of the Universal creative team that each set of glasses that Infotech built for this attraction cost $11 to manufacture. That's $11 a piece? Now, let's be realistic here. That that was 2012. Price has probably gone down since then, or I keep thinking that it should every time I look at the price of the new iPhone. <laughs> but all right, if we multiply that by the tens of thousands of glasses that Universal would have had to have bought up front, because face it, every day, some of these get broken. And more to the point that you know, a good chunk of these have to be backstage being cleaned and repaired and sorted back into bins and and that's a lot of money and never mind what the development cost must have been for a specialized item like that i mean the way it was explained to me it took infotech eight months to custom develop uh, a final version that would work specifically for transformers the ride 3d as well as the amazing adventures of spider-man and 
the specs that Universal Parks and Resorts supposedly gave this German firm for a set of 3D glasses was that they had to be sturdy enough to protect the dichronic filters that were inside each individual lens of the glasses. They had to be comfortable for the guests to wear. And again, you you brought that up at the top of the, the show, Dustin, about you know how people just don't like putting glasses over their glasses. So, you know, they, they had to design them in such a way, you know, to, to make that comfortable. And, and then from the operation side, these glasses had to be easy for right operators to clean and then stack and put in those bins. And being the good Germans that they were, the folks at Infotech had supposedly over-engineered the glasses, I guess in such a way that they had some flex to them when they got dropped so they wouldn't break all that easy. So they did, these glasses with the dichronic filters, did last longer than the old style 3D glasses with the single polarized lens and made out of thin plastic. But that doesn't mean they still couldn't be broken. So the the cost that we're also talking about, and this is something that most people don't think about, is that when you leave an attraction, you put your glasses in in the the bins. Mm -hmm. Well, they sit there. Until a cast member or team member comes and picks them up Mm -hmm. and then brings them backstage and then puts them in a vehicle and goes to one of the central cleaning locations, which, by the way, is usually not right attached to those attractions. Hmm. They could be at another theme park. They could be in a uh, a completely offsite area. And it takes a good chunk of uh, time to turn around to get those glasses back. So if we're looking at something, say, The Amazing Adventures of Spider-Man at Islands of Adventure, so their hourly capacity is roughly 2,100 people an hour. Well, 2,100 pairs of glasses an hour have to be available. And if the attraction is open for 12 to 18 hours a day, just put the, the numbers and then realize that, oh, there's a reason why a lot of the original attractions were those standard color and standard make because it was easier for them to, you know, distribute. Interesting point. Interesting point. And, you know, that's the fact that they had to be light enough to transport and they had to be easy enough to clean. And when you factor in, think about it, that every replacement set of glasses yeah, again, I hope it still isn't $11, but it's still, um, that's an operational cost that really would have to add up year after year after year, which, mm-hmm. let's take a look at the standalone version of Fast and Furious Supercharged that opened at Universal Studios, Florida, just this past year on, on April 23rd, 2018. There was initially a lot of carping from theme park fans that because of the East Coast version a Fast and Furious Supercharged wasn't projected in 3D, like the mm-hmm. West Coast version, which, by the way, debuted as the new grand finale of Universal Studios' tram tour back in July of 2015. In fact, that was this was supposed to be the candle on the cake for the 50th anniversary of the studio tour. Don McLean, who's a vice president in charge of attractions development at Universal Creative, explained why they decided to go this route with the East Coast version of Fast and Furious Supercharged. He said, We increased the frame rate for those 90 seconds of supercharged ride footage that was originally objected at. We also improved the resolution of the ride footage to make the image appear 3D without guests then needing to put on a set of 3D glasses. And look, yeah, that's true. 
But by changing, making this the Florida version of Fast and Furious Supercharged projected 2D versus 3D footage that you need glasses for, you eliminate that position you were talking about where, you know, somebody stands there in the pre-show and hands out mm-hmm. a set of glasses. Likewise, you eliminate the team member who has to collect all the glasses out of the bin and take them back to cleaning. And the person who has to, once they're cleaned, it puts them back in their storage bin just so, so they're easy to grab. And at the same time, the lenses are close enough to one another that they then scratch. Well, and the when we're looking at something as basic as 3D glasses, mm-hmm. there's a difference between what you're seeing in theme parks and what you're getting at the movie theater. When you go to a movie theater, they're not stacked nicely open. They're actually in packaging because part of your movie price Mm -hmm. includes that cost for the the movie theater to basically offset the idea of going out and buying all of these one-time-use 3D glasses. Because let's be honest, we don't go to the movie theaters with our own 3D glasses usually. Mm -hmm. But... When, when we're talking about the theme parks, it's all about operational cost and operational mastery. And you want to make sure that the money that you're investing into an attraction is in the right place at the right time. Mm-hmm. I have to wonder, though, that given what we've just seen happen with the uh, Despicable Me at, at Universal Studios Hollywood, how long is it going to be till we see the East Coast version of Despicable Me, Minion Mayhem go the 2D high-def route? Or, or for that matter, how long till Harry Potter and the Escape from Gringotts opts to follow Forbidden Journey's example and starts projecting all of its film elements at two-dimensional 4K ultimate high-def with, you know, with footage being shown at 120 frames per second? Same thing. They can get rid of the 3D glasses. And speaking of which, this brings me to, I, I was intrigued when the Wizarding World of Harry Potter Diagon Alley opened because there seemed to be some disagreement when Harry Potter and the Escape from Gringotts opened as to what the 3D glasses were called. Because depending on who was manning the, the point where you picked up your glasses, you were told either to pick up a set of card goggles Mm-hmm. Or goblin goggles. And I just, I thought that was kind of intriguing that they haven't quite decided what to call them yet. So, and I just set that aside. And then I started compiling a list of all of the other ways that the 3D glasses at various attractions around Orlando are described. And Dustin, it's a pretty extensive list. I mean, Mickey's Magic. you don't put on 3D glasses there. You're issued opera glasses. Yep. Likewise, uh, Amazing Adventure of Spider-Man, no 3D glasses there. You get night vision goggles. On the other hand, you go to Toy Story Midway Mania. This time around, you're getting a special set of carnival game glasses. But the fact that you said that it was Toy Story Midway Mania, just that warms my heart because that's the original name for the attraction. And now they just call it Toy Story Mania. And everything, I was there opening day. Mm Mm-hmm. With Toy Story Midway Mania, I I wrote it. I got I got a pin mm-hmm. from opening day, and as soon as they they got rid of Midway, I'm like, oh, that's just sad. But it, it warmed my heart when you mentioned that. What can I tell you? Anyway, getting back to the 3D glasses here, Transformer 3D the ride, you're issued battle glasses. On Star Tours, the adventure continues. You're given flight glasses. 
On Reign of Kong, Skull Island, you're given safety goggles. Uh, as we mentioned with Minion Mayhem, not 3D glasses, Minion goggles. If you go on Shrek 4D, Ogre Vision glasses. The Terminator 2 3D Battle Across Time, you were issued protective glasses before you entered the theater for the Cyberdyne presentation. And again, we talked about on Forbidden Journey, the version that was in Hollywood and Japan, Quidditch glasses, oh, 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 and Race Through New York, you get racing goggles. To my knowledge, the only, only attraction where 3D glasses are actually called 3D glasses is Kermit the Frog Presents Muppet Vision 3D. And that's basically because that show's host promises at no time will we, we be stooping to any cheap 3D tricks. And that's before the flying pie hits you in the face, right? Yep. So I know I have to have missed one or two, at least, 3D attractions. That yeah, Flight of Passage. Mm-hmm. What are those called? I'm trying to find them. Oh, it's going to bug me. Um, But I know the, uh, did we mention it's tough to be a bug? See, this is what I'm talking about. Okay, so you get bug eyes. There we go. Just as Dustin is doing here, if we're going to put together a definitive list, we're going to need some help here, folks. So if if you can think of some 3D rideshow attraction that Dustin and I haven't mentioned, reach out to us or through Twitter or Instagram or Facebook or that sort of thing and let us know and we'll circle back on this topic on a future show, but Bug Eyes, that's right, I forgot about the Bug Eyes. Well, speaking of future future shows, though, Dustin, if the, if people, you know, until we get around to recording a new one, uh, where can they find you? They can find me over at StepsToMagic.com, uh, trip planning and all that other fun stuff that goes into planning a vacation to Walt Disney World and, you know, Disney Cruise Line and Universal and, you know, when, when we're looking at planning a trip to Universal, and we're not going to go into all that much, but remember to stop over to Storybook Destinations because we have the live event coming up in November with Jim and myself down uh, talking about we've got a couple of days and it's going to be a blast. So head over there to storybookdestinations.com. And yeah, I'm basically here and online Instagram steps the magic. Now, if we're talking podcasts on my side of the fence here, we got Disney Dish with Lentesta. We got Fine Tuning with the amazing Drew Taylor. We have Marvel Us Disney with Aaron Adams. We have Looking at Lucasfilm with Dan Z. And we have the I Want That Show with Michelle Valladolid, where we look at merch. Do us a favor and head over to iTunes and rate and recommend our show. And if you really, really, really like what we do here, go over to Bandcamp and subscribe. Thanks for listening, folks, and we will be back with a new show shortly. Take care. It's been Groovy having you hang with us for the Universal Joint. Tune in again for this and other great podcasts found on the Jim Hill Media Network.